What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the newest episode of Going Long. I'm your host, Zach Neal. I'm absolutely thrilled to be bringing on Oregon legend Joey Harrington today. It's going to be a football-heavy show, as you would expect. I want to talk about Oregon quarterback play with Joey, uh, maybe look at their outlook going forward, and just kind of overall get Joey's thoughts on the current state of Oregon football. For the record, we are recording this on Friday morning, and I know that it won't air until early next week, so probably on Monday. Um, if anything major happens over the weekend, uh, we will, you know, I may come back on and, and record something on Sunday night or, or maybe a little bit of breaking news if that happens. But um, if anything takes place with the football program between now and when this comes out, that's why we did not discuss it. It's not every day that you get to chop it up with one of the best to do it in Eugene, so we are certainly going to cover a lot of ground. With all that being said, I don't want to delay this any longer. Let's get into it. It is Friday morning, just before 11 o'clock. I'm thrilled to welcome on Joey Harrington today. We've kind of been circling around this interview for a few weeks now, and my anticipation has actually been growing ever since we started to talk. So <laughs> thank you for coming on, Joey. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. My pleasure. It's uh, It's been good to talk to you over the last couple of weeks. I'm glad we can make this work. So I want to start out with one of the most recent topics that's happened in Oregon sports. Uh, Oregon offensive line coach Adrian Clem recently left the program to take the uh, a coaching job with the New England Patriots. Uh, just to start off, how big of a deal is this in your mind? Um, I, I don't think it's a huge deal. Um, you know, we've seen transition in, in coaching staffs over the last what six eight years. Um, that's 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 the norm of college football now, and 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 that's. You know what? What is is to be expected at Oregon now after you know decades of of stability? Um, I do think that the success of that offensive line uh, was paramount to the success of the of this team last year, right? You know, some of that obviously has to do with um, the talent of the guys, but you also have to have the coaching staff to get that talent to play together. And, and so you have to credit him with, with a lot of that. Um, I don't think they'll have a, a problem, especially the way that, that Dan has, you know, recruited players and coaches alike. I, I think that people want to come and play and coach with and for him. Right. Um, and so, yeah, is it a loss considering the success the offensive line had had last year? Sure. Um, I, I think that he will be replaced with a very suitable coach um, who will who will fit in with with what Dan is trying to trying to build there. Are there any specific times in your career that you remember either a position coach or a coordinator leaving and where that was where it really impacted you? Where it maybe it was hard to to kind of get back to the, in the same groove after they left, or maybe it was the opposite. Maybe it was a coach that you did not have a great relationship with. I won't, I won't ask you to name any coaches like that, that you didn't have a good relationship <laughs> with, but how much did that, uh, this guy was a you? jerk. I hated exactly, him. Exactly. Yeah. Um, how much did that impact no. you in your career? Um, the most coaching turnover I had was, um, was in the NFL. I mean, I had eight head coaches in seven seasons uh, in in the league. Um, 
I mean, how many offensive coordinators won? I, I probably had six, six offensive coordinators, I think. Um, but that's, you know, that, <laughs> it's not ideal in the NFL. It's, it's dealt with, um, a little bit better at that level. In college, I came into Oregon with, uh, with Dirk Cutter. Right, I, I came in and Dirk Cutter was was our offensive coordinator, uh, who obviously went on to have a, a ton of success at Boise, um, in the NFL with, with Jacksonville and uh, in down in Arizona State. Like he is an exceptionally well respected um, coach, and that's one of the reasons why well, I shouldn't say that I had a really good relationship with him. And so when he left, I was disappointed. It's one of those things though where you don't know what you don't know. And because in comes Jeff Tedford, who was, in my opinion, one of the best minds in, in all of football. And he taught me so much, not just like the, the X's and O's, but why the X's worked with the O's. Mm-hmm. Like that was the thing. There's, there's a couple different and, and, and things have kind of meshed through the years as, as football has evolved, but a lot of coaching used to be progression-based. One, two, three, four. If you're here, you know, it doesn't matter what the coverage is. Like this is one, if it's open, throw it. This is two, if it's open, throw it. Right. And, and that was part of the, of, of where dirt cutter fell. He kind of fell into that, that category. Mm-hmm. Jeff Tedford came in and literally like, you know, there were, there were stories, articles about how we used to play, play checkers. Right. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like, you know, I'm jumping you and king and you know king me and I'm coming back. It was having the the knowledge of okay, these guys take these guys. That leaves him here. Why am I throwing this route, right? If I have a flat curl on the front side, why am I going to the curl versus the flat? Well, it's because they're in this coverage and this dictates that this this is the defender that that covers it. So, it was a huge bonus or, or a success, or it turned out to be a fantastic thing when Dirk left and, and, and Tedford came in because I learned so much more about the game of football that, that benefited me down the line. So, you know, I think that was a situation where, you know, disappointed and losing a great coach, but what came in afterwards ended up being the, the better thing for me. I love that. And I think that that's something that a lot of Oregon fans can really take into account not to say anything against Adrian Clem. Obviously, great coach, really good football mind, but you know, a lot of Oregon fans are kind of thinking that the sky's falling losing one of the best offensive coaches on the staff and, you know, until we know who's coming in to replace him, you don't know that I mean it could be like you said a big benefit for them and again, that's not to say anything bad about Adrian Clem. Uh, let's stay on QB talk real quick. We talk a lot about quarterbacks in this sport. Obviously, you know how important they are as the former number three overall pick in 2002. So when you talk about Oregon quarterbacks, the, the announcement from Bo Nix this year that he's coming back, um, it really, it completely changed the outlook for the team in 2023. I mean, no longer are they, you know, figuring out what to do with that position, but now they're a college football playoff contender and they're a Pac-12 championship contender. Um, how, what was your reaction when you heard the news that Nix was coming back? Um, I wasn't surprised to be perfectly honest. Um, because of how he spoke about the team, right? How he spoke about Eugene, how he spoke about, um, his experience 
versus what it was at Auburn. Right. And, and there was never a direct comparison. Like he never said at Auburn, this was terrible. And in, in, at Oregon, it's fantastic. But there's a reason he left. Right. I mean, he, let's, let's kind of take this whole picture into, you know, he was the golden boy. I mean, he literally was, you know, the coach's son who, you know, who a former quarterback and, and now is destined to be, um, you know, his son is going to be the, the savior for Auburn football. And, it was a pretty rough, rough time for him. You know, it was not a smooth few years. And so he left and he came to a place where he was immediately accepted. He was had immediate success. He was, I mean, let's be honest, he was adored, right? And, and he connected with not just the team, but the community. Like you heard him say over and over how much he and his wife loved being in Eugene and loved being Absolutely. part of that Oregon community. And so when people talk like that, there is, there are emotions at play, right? It's more than just a financial decision. Now, had he been projected to be a first round pick, you know, I, <laughs> I'm sure he would have left. Um, <laughs> but I think that combination of him, not just wanting to improve draft stock, or prove to people that he could be the type of player that everyone thought he was coming out of high school. But when you combine that with the emotional, the experience that he had, um, I wasn't surprised to see that, that he made the decision to come back. You know, I, I had the chance to talk with him about a week ago at the, at the recruiting event <laughs> and, you know, asked him like, about that decision to to come back and and what do you you know I said what are you realistically trying to improve upon like you know somebody asked me and this is how I like framed it to him I was like someone asked me you know what what does Bo Nix have to work on to to improve his draft stock and and my answer was like I don't know not get hurt like you know like the the only reason that he wasn't a Heisman contender at the end of the season is because he hurt his ankle. Right. Like he was literally just skyrocketing up and, um, you know, Oregon was on, on track to be in the playoff discussion. Um, but there are little things, uh, you know, being more consistent from the pocket. Right. Uh, there are little things that he, and not that he was bad from the pocket. He was fantastic from the pocket. Right. Mm -hmm. But you have to be elite if you're going to be in the yeah. NFL. Right. So there are things that he has identified that um, can help take him from what third, fourth round pick maybe is what they were mm -hmm. saying to a first, second round pick combine that with um, you know, the emotional experience of being accepted and, and finding success, like truly finding joy in football again. And I'm sure, you know, combine that with a nice little NIL package and you know, you got yourself a, you got yourself a quarterback for next year. Absolutely. I'll cross the question off my list of what do you think Bo Nick can do in, in this next year to, to up his draft stock. But while we're on well, the, uh, the – go ahead. Well, no, I, I, I think it's a legitimate question, right? Because at least for those of us who are – for those people who are looking at this as a fan, right, you see the success that he had, right? I mean, was – completing 70% of his passes, you know, throwing touchdowns, not throwing picks, leading teams to victory, doing it with his legs, doing it with his arms. There is a certain level of, I'll say, leeway at the college level, 
right? There's a, there's an amount of leeway that you have where you can make little mistakes and still have success. Mm-hmm. Or I could say those who are super talented can, can escape and create plays that aren't necessarily there in the NFL. Those mm-hmm. are the things that he needs to do. And then they're not often seen by, by the average fan sitting and watching a game. Right. You see a guy take a team down the field and score a touchdown to put, you know, in, in the second quarter, the NFL scout sees, well, why did he have to scramble there? Right. They're watching the film from the all 22 and saying, all right, you got cover two here. The middle, middle linebacker is, is working strong for the, you know, the three receiver side. You need to be throwing that high low over the back of the weak side linebacker. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the throw I need to see you make. And when you don't make it and instead scramble out, the fan sees yards, the fan sees touchdowns, the scout sees a hesitance to cut that loose, right? So those are the little details that, uh, and and honestly, like we're nitpicking like that, but, Mm -hmm. but when you get to this level, that's, that's the level of what's nitpickiness that that goes on (laughs) when you're, when you're deciding who to uh, build your NFL franchise around. Well, and that's one of the things where, I mean, yeah, like you said, people look at college quarterbacks and their stats and their completion percentage is one of the big things. And then you look at the tape and you see these windows that they're throwing into are wide open. And then you look at the NFL and it's like, you will never see a window that big at all in your career. I'm sure you know that as well as anyone. To stay on the topic of current Oregon quarterbacks, what do you make of Ty Thompson sticking around? I know that a lot of people, myself included, really expected him to enter the transfer portal. Um, I am surprised, but actually really thrilled. I love the fact that he stayed so far. I know there's still time in May for him to potentially transfer out if he wants to, but I think that at this point that he's still on the roster, I think he's here for at least another year. I'm just curious what you kind of think of that whole that whole situation. I'm thrilled, to be honest. Yeah. Um not just because it provides depth at quarterback, but because like, let me back up. I am all for the rights of, of college players, right? I am all, as somebody who was literally like plucked up and put on a 10 story billboard in New York city and didn't see a dime (laughs) come from it. Like I am all for, you know, looking around and seeing all the number three jerseys that I didn't see a dime for like, I'm all for players turning their on-field success and, and, and into monetary success, right? I am all for players. You know, I've, I've talked about this for years with, with people. Like, if coaches can pick up mid-year or, or you know, mid-contract, I should say, mm-hmm. and, and go from Oregon to Miami, right? All someone has to do is buy out their contract. Mm-hmm. You're leaving 100 guys – that didn't used to be able to go anywhere. Now, those two situations needed to be dealt with. I don't like the way in which they, in which this has transpired. Correct. Right? There, it's, yes. it's just been, as opposed to saying, let's do this in a responsible way that um, fairly compensates players and allows them the freedom to um, to change their sh- situation should they need to. Instead, we've got a situation where high school kids are being promised 13 million bucks and you know, you've got 25% of your roster literally leaving every year, which completely handcuffs coaches in, t- in terms of building a depth chart and, and, and planning for the future, right? 
it used to be where you could bring in quarterback A, B, C, and D, let them play and say, let them practice, I should say, and then say, okay, great, here's our starter. And then tell the other guys, here's the things that I need you to work on in order to take the reins, mm-hmm. right? If I'm a coach, I have I have no no way to do that anymore because mm-hmm. if somebody doesn't get the job that they want right away, then they're out. So your question of how I felt when Ty stayed, I was happy because it shows that he's willing to work. Yeah, he absolutely. shows that he's willing to learn to improve himself. Right, that's the thing that I don't. You know, another issue that I that I have with the transfer portal is as soon as something gets hard, it's like screw it, I'm out. Mm-hmm. What does that What does that actually teach you? Right? I didn't get the job. Coach hates me. I'm leaving. No, like look inside yourself and say maybe there is something that I need to do to improve. Maybe mm-hmm. this guy is better than me. Like, and so to see Ty stay, I was thrilled because it showed a commitment to the team. I was. Thrilled because it allows the coaching staff to build a depth chart to plan for the future, which is what we all want for this program is, you know, that stable, successful future going forward. And three, I was thrilled for him because it showed me that he was willing to fight. Yeah. Right. That he was willing to say, hey, you know what? I came in with big expectations and um, it didn't happen for me right away. And then it didn't even happen for me the second year. Right. But that doesn't mean that I can't have success down the road and that I'm not going to try and work on it. And it's probably not going to happen in the third year either, unless we see another right. injury with, with Nick's either. But the fact that he, I talked about this on last week's pod, the fact that he, like you said, is willing to stay and work and kind of bide his time and work his way up that depth chart. It's really important because I think it, it keeps that side of college football alive that we've been that we've seen kind of go down the drain over the past few years. Like you said, with people seeing their spot on the depth chart after spring ball and saying, Hey, this is not the amount of playing time I want. I'm going to go somewhere Peace, else. I'm out. But know? what's changed. I think it was chip Kelly last year that came out and said that this has completely changed how coaches have to have to coach and build a roster now. Mm-hmm. Cause they used to, they used to recruit for talent and for, for development. And they would kind of, even if someone couldn't play right away, they knew they could have them and grow them for a few years. But now with the introduction of the transfer portal, they recruit for scheme and they kind of, they don't really focus on development anymore. They focus on their, the scheme that they run and they try and get players that fit into that scheme. How have you seen, I mean, Dan Lanning is a good example of this because he's adapted really well. And I think that he does a little bit of both. I know it's a little bit too early in his tenure to, to tell how he develops everyone, but we've seen him bring in, I mean, look at the transfers from last year. They were incredibly good in his scheme. He found guys that fit what he wants to run. I know we've got high hopes for the transfers coming in this year too. We're going to get to that in a little bit, but how have you kind of seen the transfer portal change the way that coaches coach in college football now? I've I've literally talked to coaches who said the just what you said like we can't we can't recruit players that we want to develop right mm-hmm. and instead we have to go into it each season as if we're going into free agency like it's wow. it's NFL free agency it's mm-hmm. what is my need what what are my areas of need this year and how can I use the portal to to supplement that. Right. That's, that's the, 
I say unfortunate part of college football because let's be honest, how many of us at 18, 19, 20 years old really knew enough about ourselves, about how the world worked, about how business works to make a sound financial decision, to make a sound mm-hmm. decision about our future, right? That That's the thing is like to leave it up to these Young kids, like it's, it's different if you're 27 and you got yourself a family and you got a couple kids and you know, you've had those experiences and, but I don't know, it's to go into each off season, knowing that I have a quarter of my roster that I, that I realistically need to fill and try and find these areas of need that I can pull a wide receiver from Alabama or a defensive end from South Carolina, like I don't know. It, 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 I think it, I always used to say, like, people would ask, what, are you going to get into coaching? I was like, hell no. There's, there's not a chance that I'm going to let my family's future be decided by the decisions of 17, 18, and 19 year old males. Like, that, that's not, I, I, like, no chance. Like, I'm not going to, you know, tell my wife and kids that, sorry, we got fired because, you know, Timmy over there decided to, you know, get a DUI and now I got kicked off the team and now we lost seven games and, and, you know, I have to take you out of preschool and, and, you know, we're moving to, to Charlotte, North Carolina. Like, I'm not going to do that. Now it's even, it's, it's even amplified because you have to pluck somebody who's leaving a situation. You know, why is that person leaving? You know, what's their commitment to us when we get here? Like that, that uncertainty is just, I don't know. I think it's a really unfortunate part of college football right now. Um, oh, the other, that was, I was like, there was something else to that. We, you talked about Dan Lanning and, and his ability to develop and coach talent, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, he's shown the ability to recruit. He's shown the ability to use the portal in a, in a way that, I mean, let's be honest, Bo Nix, uh, Chase Coda, um, <laughs> both starting running backs, you yeah, know, like exactly. go, it, it was, it was fantastic. Did we really have talent development with Mario? No, you know, those, <laughs> those think, recruiting, cla- any fan would yeah. say no. <laughs> right. I mean, those recruiting classes were supposed to be just, you know, the best in the history of, of Oregon football. And then there was a constant complaining about why aren't these players producing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I love the fact to your point, I, I love what Dan has done through the portal. I love his style of recruiting. And I, I frankly only think that it can go up from where mm-hmm. we had been in the past, you know, in the past five, six years, right? Those, those, those classes that were supposed to be incredible under Willie and, and Mario, um, you know, there've been a couple, Couple, couple guys that hit, but, um, I would definitely not say that that has, this has been a, a good half decade of taking young talent and developing them into NFL type players. Definitely. So I got a, a, maybe a tough question for you. Back to the transfer portal a little bit. In your career, I mean, you spent the first two years of your career, I believe you played 10 games, first two years were behind Achilles Smith and you kind of competed with AJ Feely, I think, as a sophomore. You said 10 games? 10 games in your first two years. That's the stat that I nope. pulled up, right? No, I stepped foot on the field one time. 
in okay. my first two years. I was years. looking at sports reference wrong then. Okay. So you yeah. played, remind me then, you played behind Achilles Smith and AJ Feely. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Uh, Jason Moss. So Achilles and Jason Moss uh, were the first, uh, my very first year, they, they uh-huh. platooned, they split time. My second year it was Achilles, you know, when he went on his, you know, his, his record-breaking run. That third year, AJ and I competed for the spot. Okay. And um, AJ played the first six games and I played the, mm-hmm. the second. And I, and I came in midseason that year. Okay. So with that being said, if the transfer portal was prevalent in that time, does, you know, 18-year-old Joey, does he consider leaving Eugene? Put yourself back in that mindset if you can. I mean, how, how oh. tough of a decision is that for you? How honest do we want to get here, Zach? That's up to you. That is completely up to you. <laughs> Look, I'm an open book, okay? Um, after Akili left, Coach Bellotti told us, AJ and I, hey, 1A, 1B, you're going to fight for it. Mm-hmm. Coming out of training camp, um, Coach said, hey, AJ is going to be the starter, but you're going to play. Because Coach Bellotti had no problem with platooning quarterbacks in it, you know, uh, for instance, two years prior, Jason Moss and, and Akili, right? Mm-hmm. AJ went out and threw for like three and a quarter, you know, the first three games of the season. And I, and I never saw the field. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, and, and I was, I was frustrated. Yeah. Um, the next couple games, AJ didn't play as well. We lost to UCLA. We lost to, um, Washington. We lost to, there's one other game. I think we were, you know, we're three and three. And, and I was, I was frustrated. I was frustrated that even in those games that that I was told, you know, I was going to play some. Great, I get it. Guys throwing for over three hundred a game, like, you know, <laughs> keep them in there. Um, oh, we lost to Michigan State. That was the other one. Um, but then when things weren't going as well, uh, I still wasn't getting on the field, and and I I, f- I had the conversation. Not gonna okay. lie, I had the conversation with my dad, and I said because. Um, there were a couple schools. Remember, I, I was, I wasn't a, a highly recruited guy. Like mm-hmm. I had a, my, my only division one offers were Stanford, uh, Oregon and well, Oregon state doesn't count just cause you know, Oregon state <laughs> never counts, but, um, you know, and so some of the schools that were, that were hardest after me were the Montana's and the Montana states. Right. And so I remember having a conversation with my dad, um, and saying, I, maybe we should reach out to, um, God, who was it? Was it Joe? Was it Joe Glenn who was coaching back there at the time? But maybe we should re- reach out and, and, and just kind of open up that line of communication again. My dad talked to Joe Shaffield, mm-hmm. who, um, ironically was actually my dad's high school coach uh, when they were at Central Catholic and Schaff had been at, at Oregon for, you know, 30, 40 years. And I'll never forget, Joe came up to me the next day um, in the, the cast center at the football facility. And he pulled me aside into his office and said, look, I get it. Like, I, I, I get it. Like, you have a right to be frustrated, but don't go doing something stupid. Don't go, <laughs> don't go making a rash decision just because you're, just, you know, just because you're, you're a little bit frustrated right now. Stick with it. 
Like it's going to, if you do the right things and Joe, I mean, you know, Joe Schaff, if you knew him, like you want to talk about like Eastern Oregon, just like shut up, do your job, put your head down, (laughs) do the right thing. Things will work out. You know, you're, you're bleeding. I don't care. Rub some dirt on it. Get back in there like that. And that's who Joe was. And, and you respected him for it. Um, that game, AJ, uh, we went down to Arizona and, and he didn't play very well in the first half. And, and sure enough, like, I, I went in in the in the second half of um, of that game and and then never never came out of the the well not to, not true I didn't start the following week against Arizona State but after that I, I again came in at halftime and never came out again so um, you know it, it's one of those things where I look back on it and it's like God just it's so tough to see the larger perspective when you're mm-hmm. just focused in on on that one little thing and and. Um, you know, my story was one of, I'm sure hundreds, thousands that if you ask people around college football, like all you got to do is just keep working and wait for that opportunity that will show up. It may not be tomorrow. It may be next season. It may, you know, but that doesn't mean that waiting for an opportunity isn't going to be the best thing for you. Absolutely. And I feel like that's a, to me, that's a, an awesome story. I didn't know that whole story with you. Thank you for sharing that. That's a conversation that you had with Sheffield that I think so many kids in college football today would benefit from. And it's just, you know, like we were talking about earlier with Ty Thompson, it, I'm sure he probably had that conversation with a couple of yeah. coaches over the past few years. Mm-hmm. And, and he's stuck around in Eugene and he hopefully 2024, I mean, he is the guy he can actually have that, that career that he always dreamed of at Oregon. Uh, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to get into some spring football topics with you. All right. So it feels like football hasn't really ever left us, uh, despite it being the off season. That's sort of the nature of the sport in this, this new cycle these days already. We've got spring football on the horizon for the ducks, uh, with the <laughs> annual spring game taking place on April 29th. I know spring practice is going to start up probably mid March, I believe is what Laning said. Um, as we get closer to spring practices down the road, I know a lot of us are focusing on where this team can get better from year one to year two under Dan Lanning. One of the main things that Lanning has done, as we talked about earlier, is attack the transfer portal this offseason. And he's really, I think, in my opinion, has improved the level of talent on the team. I know that they lost, I forget the exact number, 19 or 20 guys, but they brought in mm-hmm. 10 transfer portal guys. I think that, you know, they definitely got better with talent. If I were to rank the most impactful transfers that have come in, I would say that it's Jordan Birch, Johnny Cornelius, and probably Tysheem Johnson or Treshawn Holden, the wide receiver. Um, in your mind, who do you think those guys are? Who are you? Who do you see having the biggest impact, at least in spring football, and potentially, you know, once we get into the real season? All right, you want my honest answer? Yes, always. I don't care. And here's why. That's a perfect answer. Not because I don't care, but this is what I I don't, I I, I will not get into this, this game. Okay. Do we have a vacancy at the wide receiver position? Somebody in the slot, somebody who's going to be, you know, our number two guy. Absolutely. We have a, we have a, we have a vacancy there. Okay. Is it always imperative to have a a dominant defensive lineman? Absolutely. Okay. But in the same way that everybody anointed Ty Thompson, 
the moment he arrived on campus, I'm not going to be the person to jump out there and say, you know, Birch is going to be the absolute guy. You know, oh my God, he's a five star guy out of you know out of high school, and he went to South Carolina and had a relationship with Dan Lanning during recruiting, and now he's going to come here and dominate. Like, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. Would it be great if it happened? Absolutely, but none of us truly know how this is all going to play out. We can sit here and say we have needs, right? Area A, B, and C. But none of us know, in the same way that we all thought, um, did anybody think, how do I put this? Who did everybody think our starting running back was going to be last year? Byron Cardwell. Exactly. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> right. Easy. You didn't see the field. No. Right? I think you got There's a reason six for attempts. That. <laughs> right. There's, there's a reason for that. A reason that we didn't know. Because we're not on the field. We're not in the coaching meeting or in the players' meetings, right? We're not there to see how they interact with teammates. We're not there to see how they interact with their new coaching staff. Whether they're able to pick up the things and comprehend and understand the schemes that um, these coaches are trying to implement. Where's Justin Flo right now? Yeah. Right? Good point. He's not, he's not there. Our, our, our Greatest, you know, maybe behind Kayvon, the greatest recruit in the history of Oregon defense. And he's not even on our team anymore. So I always hesitate to jump into these conversations and say, this is going to be the most important player. This is going to be the best player. Oh my God, I can't believe we got this guy from this school or, or, and, and they're going to be the, the, the next great running back, DN, wide receiver, offensive lineman in Oregon history. Because until you see that 18 year old kid, move away from mom and eat dorm food and wash his own laundry and try and juggle a, a college schedule and then learn a new offense all while living on your own for the first time and trying to manage being in a dorm, you know, in a dorm hall with, you know, 50 beautiful girls down the street. Like, you know, like there's all these things that just completely that are completely overlooked in the formula of trying to determine how well you play football. Mm -hmm. Right. Moving from South Carolina to Eugene, Oregon. <laughs> you want to talk about culture shock? Yeah. Like this is going to be different. Mm -hmm. Do we have a need at defensive end? Yeah. It would be awesome to have that guy play out of his mind. It would be amazing to have him immediately fit in with the scheme that, that Tosh and Dan are putting together. It may not happen. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not in a position to be able to say this guy is the best, this guy is the next best, because because I don't know, and none of us do. And until we see them on the field at Otson Stadium, then we can say, okay, great, this is what this guy is doing, this is what he's not doing. Until then, it's just like coin flips. You know what? I didn't expect to be left speechless by a lot of your answers today but i think you really you really took me aback with that one and i love it i love it. that was such a a poignant answer and i think really refreshing too because a lot of us myself included i mean on on duckswire today i put out an article where i'm ranking the transfers coming in on who the who i think is going to have the best impact and then right. and but, you can have that opinion and and that's absolutely. fair for you to have that opinion but 
Do you know? I mean, other than being Absolutely in not. this world, like reporting, you know, type mm-hmm. of world, you don't have any more, you know, you have a little bit more information than Joe Schmo just, you know, waking up and open up Twitter and saying, hey, what's Zach write today? Oh, great. Now Zach is digesting or he is di- digesting your information. Mm-hmm. Right. And you've digested the information that you have a little bit, of, you know, a, a better in on. Right. But none of us have that true in of being able to say why or why not Byron Cardwell. Why was Byron Cardwell not on the field? Absolutely. Why did Justin Flo leave? Right. Right. Those those are things that we truly don't have insight into. Now we could, like I said, we can say these are the areas of need, but we truly don't know who is going to fill them and how well they're going to fill them until they actually start playing. Okay. So let me see if I can get you to bite on this question. I don't. I think you might have more of an answer, a different answer for this one. <laughs> Who do you think makes the leap this year? Who are you expecting from what we saw last year on last year's okay. team? Who do you think goes into this year and we really see kind of take that next step into maybe a star or a star power type player? Okay, I'm thinking here. Troy Franklin. Yeah, and I I, that's and, and that's not a, that's. And and that's not a you know out of left field kind of mm-hmm. you know it it's, makes it's almost like a well like duh like of course yeah. like but the flashes that he showed last year um, you know it, it almost kind of reminds me of oh god am I oh completely drawing a blank help me out here Justin Herbert. The year that he only threw to one one guy, Dylan he Mitchell. was only throwing Dylan Mitchell. I was going to say Carrington. I was like, that's not right. Nope. Dylan Mitchell, like, right? Like, <laughs> there is almost like that. Well, is Chris Hudson capable? Yeah, sure. Uh, Ferguson, absolutely. Yeah. But neither one of them has shown the explosiveness that that Troy Frank- Franklin did. Um, you know, I, I think that's probably. Probably, you know, I'm thinking of the two running backs, you know, they're going to be really good. They're, they're again, going to be really good football players. But I think if you're t- talking about somebody who can, that can make the leap from being, hey, he was really good to being a, okay, you know, that guy's in the discussion for, you know, the Bolitnikoff Award. Like, mm-hmm. that's the type of guy that, that Troy Franklin could be. Well, and if, I mean, we all expect... Bo Nix to have an incredible year by by all means this oh. year, but yeah. he's going to need to be throwing to someone. And like you said, I <laughs> we know that Hudson is capable. He I would yeah, like to see very him capable. catch a catch a few more deep touchdown balls if he's going to make that next step. But and like you said, Terrence Ferguson and they've got a really good. There's some really good young freshmen, true freshman wide receivers on the roster as well. And Jorion Dickey, Kyler Casper, Ashton Cozart. But we need to see it before that. We've seen it from Franklin. We know that he has this ability. And I think that if they're going to take that next step, I think that if if you were to ask me that same question, I think he's probably my answer as well. Maybe someone on defense, one of the cornerbacks to step up. But um, yeah, I think that Franklin's probably the probably the best bet. Yeah. You know, it's funny because if you'd asked me that question last year, I'd have said, I'd have said Dante Thornton. Yeah, absolutely. I thought where, he would too. Where, 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 and and back to the original point. Where is he now? Absolutely. 
Yeah. Well, and yeah. he's some and, of the that, last spring we heard all of the stories that he was living in the locker mm-hmm. room and, and eating and breathing tape and, and just in the weight room and, and such a leader. And then exactly like you said, I mean, he just, yeah, he's in Tennessee now. It's just kind of how this goes sometimes. Right. So one more question. Well, actually two more questions about spring. Where do you think this team as a whole can get better? What What would you see in spring football this year? that kind of gives you the most confidence about this team's outlook in 2023. Is there anything is, or do you kind of just take spring football as, as you know, we'll see. No, 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 no. Um, There's two. So two questions there. If, if I'm hearing it correctly, where, where can they get better? Mm -hmm. And what gives me confidence? Correct. Where can they, they can get better defensively. Like there was a, I, I honestly think, and and again, this is me deductive reasoning. Mm-hmm. Why is Noah Sewell gone? Why is Justin Flo gone? Why? Like, I think that there was, I'll call it a fit problem. Yes. Between what Dan and Tosh want, want to do defensively. And the talent, or the, and I don't even say talent because they're, every player there is a talented player, but the type of player that those guys, those coaches want to be anchoring their defense. Mm-hmm. The biggest area of improvement needs to be cohesion on that defensive front seven. Mm-hmm. It, it does because you can talk about how porous, you know, the, the, the secondary was a lot of, <laughs> If you're having to cover guys for seven seconds, like there's no Deion Sanders. Exactly. That front seven needs to become the dominant type of front seven that, that Dan had at Georgia. And is it going to happen tomorrow? No, but having a spring, another spring to really put that together, having a full recruiting cycle to get guys in, you know, cause when Dan came in and his staff came in last year, they're literally walking in blind. You know, that first spring ball was like, all right, well, let's kind of see what we got. Now it's okay. I know who I have in these place in these positions. I know the areas that I want to fill and how can I shape it? Right. Yeah. It's it's gone from last year being just kind of talent evaluation to this year being shaping of the roster and, and what you want it to be. So I think that's where the, the biggest area of improvement should come uh, and needs to come is, is in that front seven. So is there something uh, that you will see this spring that kind of gives you, say in the spring game, I, I don't know if you'll be at the spring game, I assume you probably will, but... Is there something that you'll see in that game or in practices or anything that would give you a lot of confidence going forward? No. Yeah. Because, because spring ball, there's always an element being held back, right? Yeah. Yep. There's always an element of like you truly don't know what you have defensively until you get on a field in the end of August and the start, you know, so, and you start hitting somebody else and someone because that's not your own team. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because like y- there are so few times where you go full live, full pads, like mm-hmm. it, against your own team anymore. And that's what defense is, right? Defense is that, is that mindset of like, just 
I'm going to be smarter and tougher and stronger and just get the hell out of my way. So what I want to hear or see coming out of spring is coaches talking about like the players understanding, Mm -hmm. right? I want to hear them talk about there being a leader on that defense. Somebody call it, call it a quarterback on defense who knows where everybody is supposed to be. You're here. You're here. You do your job. You do like, right. That's what you need as a defense. Not, we don't need junior say who's going to go rogue and just like, you know, run all over the field and just make tackles on your own. This defense needs, this defense needs intelligent players. That's what I feel like they were missing this past year, too, because two years ago you had Verone McKinley, who by all means, I mean, he was nicknamed himself the general because he was just, you know, the quarterback of the defense. He knew where everyone was supposed to be, and they they played well. But there was not really that guy this year. So I think that's a a really good answer because they need whoever it is. I mean, whether it's a linebacker, whether it's a safety, they need someone to step up and really just take ownership of that unit. Um, you asked, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to answer your next question, which, which was what gives me the most confidence mm -hmm. having Bo. I mean, let's be honest. Like this is an opportunity. Whereas last year, Bo was coming in to, to fight for a job. You know, he didn't quite know what you had. Yeah, He's the leader of that team and he sets the tone and he, I mean, he is going to take those young players and mold them, right? That's what you do in a spring. That's what you do during the summer. Like you literally just rep over and over and over and over. Like that gives me the most confidence. Like having a spring and off season with a senior, a super senior quarterback, <laughs> you know, leading this young, talented group of wide receivers and running backs and tight it like, Man, that that's gonna be that's gonna be special. So, I want to ask you this question. I know that we've got a hard out coming out, so I hesitate a little bit to open up this door because I think that we can ah, talk we, about it. I got I got time. Let's open doors. Okay, Let's go for a long time. All right. So, we've talked off air before. You and I talking about recruiting and nil. Mm-hmm. I know you're not a huge fan of recruiting. You're not a huge fan. We talked a little bit about it earlier. Kind of the the way that it's gone over the past. And with the the introduction of NIL has completely changed things. I'm just curious, how would you in your mind I don't I know you might not have an exact answer because I don't have an answer either, but do you have any ideas of ways to fix this? To make this a little bit better? And and is it even fixable? Or is this something that kinda needs to implode on itself for something new to be reborn in a sense? I think if you try and fix it, you may have a class action lawsuit on your hands. Okay. I mean, let, let's be honest. Like, um, the NCAA let, they open Pandora's box. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you, you can't, I mean, what, whatever analogy you want to, want to use, you can't unring the bell. You can't, uh, college football has changed. Period. Yeah. Done. The college football we knew 10 years ago does not exist. And it will not exist ever again. Mm-hmm. Now, I, th- I would hope that sound-minded people would come together and put to, and, and put forth a framework of rules that, that everybody should live by. By no means, like, 
and and it's tough because what you've done now is is you've you've opened the free market, mm-hmm. right? And that's why I say there's going to be a class action lawsuit. If that cat who, who committed to Florida can go mm-hmm. out on the open market and and earn thirteen million dollars, yeah, how can a university in you know a, a, a governing body in Indianapolis tell some kid in California that he is not that he can't exercise his his right to earn a living. Yeah. Right? That that or I should say what now that it has been put out there taking that back is is a difficult thing. My my issue with with recruiting is is not about the recruiting itself, right? I you got to have great players. Like <laughs> you have to have, you know, you have to have talented players. You have to have leaders. You have to have hardworking. Like you have to have this mix of, I'm going to sideway segue here. So <laughs> we got to talk more often because like this, you'll find out, I, like I just, I, you are welcome on the podcast. Anytime <laughs> you want. Really. <laughs> I, I had a chance the other night um, to Steve Kerr, um, mm-hmm coach of the Golden State Warriors talked to my um my eighth grade basketball team the other night. Okay. And it was one of those Man, moments where that's like, awesome for your eighth grade basketball team. Oh, it was it was <laughs> just a it was fantastic. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. But one of the things that he said to them uh, which really stuck with me and you know you, you get you get seventh and eighth graders like all they want to do is score. All they want to do is, you know, you know, I gotta score 20 points a game. He said, Draymond and Steph are invaluable and they work so well because they are so different. Mm-hmm. Their difference makes them the perfect pair. And there is not a team, there's not an all-star team out there that could be put together. You know, you would never take an all-star team and run a, an 82 game season. They wouldn't mm-hmm. win the NBA championship, right? Because you wouldn't have people filling those those needed roles. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking this back to recruiting. I fully understand the idea. You, you gotta have superstars. You do. You gotta have talent. You gotta have incredibly talented people out there to win in college football right now. But you also gotta have leaders. You also gotta have someone who's willing to do the dirty work. You also gotta have the guy that's that's willing to literally throw his face into a wall and get no credit for it. Mm-hmm. All right, you have to have the Draymond if you're going to have the Steph. And without the two of those groups working together, you're going to you're going to flat. It's just going to be highlights. It's going to be a flash here, a flash here, and then at the end of the season, you're going to look back and say, "Well, you know what? This team didn't quite work the way that we wanted it to." Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is what recruiting that that's my issue with recruiting right now is everybody is concerned about how many stars you have. And everybody's concerned with, you know, pubbing up, like literally filling these high school kids' heads with these dreams that I'm going to be in the in the NFL and making millions of dollars. And you know what? Hey, with NIL, it, it may be possible now. But it becomes like almost this stockpile of all-star talent. Absolutely. Right? And I'm concerned, or I would say if, if I'm putting together a team, the stuff that doesn't get the, the attention – is the three-star guy that literally will dig and fight and be the rock of that defensive line. You know, mm-hmm. it's that three-star guy that 
you know, is going to seal the edge as a tight end, you know, so that your superstar tailback can get around the corner. Mm-hmm. Right. Those guys are necessary. It's that three star, two star fullback who literally is going to throw his face into the chest of the middle, you know, an all American middle linebacker so that he can open up a hole for somebody else. Like those are the pieces that are necessary to have a winning football team. And those are the pieces that just get completely lost in this whole discussion because everybody is so concerned with how many stars do you have? And, you know, what are you going to pay this high? Like, I'm, I'm so, like, I get it. You, you have to have, you have to have a lot of talent, but you have to have the right type of people as well. Well, it feels like a perfect example of this was last year, Texas A&M signed the highest rated recruiting class in the history of the sport. And this year, I think they had well over 20 transfers and I think 15 or so of those, you know, five-star, four-star blue-chip players ended up transferring out of the sport. So, yes, you can and get And what did they talent. finish? What was the record last year? I don't even know, but I know they didn't make a bowl game. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. You can, they were sitting you can there get at... this talent, you can get these players, but if you don't have, you know, the culture or the development or the, the buy-in from these guys, it doesn't matter at all. So one more question on NIL, then I've got two fun ones to end with. How different do you think your recruitment would have been if NIL was a thing? I mean, I know that you weren't, like you said, you weren't, you don't think it would have been different at all just because of the level. Nobody wanted me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's funny. Like I went to, I was offered a scholarship by Jerry Pettibone at Oregon state. That was my first scholarship offer. And I sat in the, and <laughs> I'll never forget. My dad is, we're heading, you know, we're just drive down there. And I was like, dad, why are we going to Oregon state? You know, because my dad, uh, he played quarterback at Oregon. And it's like, we never rooted for the Beavers. Like, uh-huh. heck, why are we going to Oregon state? And it's like, well, Hey, look, they're offering to pay for your school. Like, let's go talk with them. Great. That matters. We're walking out the door and he says, put a sweater on and your letterman jacket. I said, dad, but it's, it's spring and it's, <laughs> and it's, it's warm. He's like, I, you, you need to look like you weigh 15 pounds more than you do. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> so I'm sitting there dripping sweat in Jerry Pettibone's office trying to look like I'm, I'm bigger than I am. And, uh, he, you know, and sitting there thinking like, you're a wishbone co- coach. And I ran a five, three 40, you know, at our, at our high school last year. Like how in the world are, are we going to make this work? And, oh, we're going to change the offense. We're going to do all these things. Yeah. You know, sure. Great. I was the, I remember Coach Bellotti telling me, I want to say I was like the fifth, fourth, maybe the fourth quarterback, fifth quarterback that Oregon offered that year. Wow. Okay. And it wasn't until all the other quarterbacks said no that, you know, that, that I got that opportunity. I got my Stanford offer being down at their camp, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and interacting with their coaching staff in person and, you know, it's funny. Coach so Ty Willingham was the head coach there, and and we played this. It was like this mix of kind of like soccerish Aussie rules, you know, uh, rugby, uh, ultimate frisbee kind of game. You know, at the end we made these teams and for, with the Stanford camp, and I'll never forget him telling me that. One of the reasons in, in our team, the, the team that I was on ended up winning the camp champion or the, the camp championship mm-hmm. for this made up game that they played. 
And he said, I'll never, I'll never forget this. He said, part of the reason why we're offering you a scholarship is because of the way you led that group is because of seeing you interact with the players on that team and how you supported and how you got the best out of the, you know, in this, in this new different environment, those things don't translate to NIL dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah. that, that's the reality. Um, now, you know, you asked about recruitment, mm-hmm. you know, that my, re- my recruitment, I don't think would have changed. If anything, maybe I would have gotten less offers. You know, because I didn't yeah. develop as a, you know, I wasn't a, so- a star as a sophomore. I wasn't a star. Hell, my, my high school team didn't even make the playoffs my junior year. <laughs> you know, it, it, that, that was, that was the reality. Now, if we're talking about NIL dollars after, you know, after my junior year and someone comes yeah. to you and says, Hey, you know, we'd like to use your name, image and likeness in, in, you know, kitty corner from Madison Square Garden at the top yeah. of the station. I said, well, you know what? That one's going to cost you about seven figures, but you, yeah, you know, that'd be nice. So. <laughs> Not to, I mean, kind of on the same topic, not to get back into the whole transfer portal thing too, but like you said, if NIL was a thing and the portal was a thing, maybe that also would have hurt you more out of coming out of high school because I think college coaches are now recruiting high school players less than they were before because they're recruiting the transfer portal more. So that would have been interesting well, to see. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I think, I think the re, I wouldn't say they're recruiting college players more. But I would say that the relationships that they build while recruiting them as high in high school, they, they don't stop, right? Yes, correct. And that's you one have of the to reasons keep it why going. I think exactly like people remember, like kids remember that, and mm-hmm. that's why I think Dan has been so successful in the portal this year is because, I mean, the guy is incredibly likable. The cr- guy mm-hmm. is incredibly engaging and genuine. And that sticks with these players, right? They remember. Mm-hmm. I did when an entire segment at- on this last week mm-hmm. on a podcast. I mean, that's that's one of the main reasons why I think Jordan Birch is in Oregon right now, because he had that relationship with Dan Lanning in South exactly. Carolina. And that's why Oregon finishing, you know, second or third for all of these five-star recruits this year. That's why there's a little bit of a silver lining there, because Lanning has that relationship with a lot of these guys. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if some of them end up hitting the portal at some point in their career. And that's when they kind of say, hey, maybe maybe I take a look at what's happening up in Oregon. Right. That's that's the game has completely changed that way. All right. I've got two fun questions that I would get you out on. You mean these questions haven't been fun? They've been insightful, definitely. These are more more silly, <laughs> fun questions. There are not many right. things in my life that I can say I'm comparable to Joey Harrington at, but I think we are both decent golfers. You are better I than look, me. I was literally looking at – okay, wait. wait yes, point. I've got there. Uh, Masters, got Augusta Masters. Flag. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, hold on, hold on. Uh, is that is that 11? 2018. At Augusta? 2018. Oh, no, the, the screen? No, no. The hole, is that the 11th hole? It's, it's 12. It's Amen Corner. Ah, uh, tw- okay, because they're, okay. Right, 11 gotcha. and 12, yep. Yeah, because okay. 11 and 12, and then they're coming T-Box. New T-Box on 13 this year. New T-Box right. on 13, can't wait. I might need to get you in my master's pool. We'll talk about that off air. Oh, yeah, I'm in. All right, awesome. Um, Back to the question. So, you, obviously, better at golf than I am, but I, I think I'm a decent player at least. So, I'm offering you hypothetically $10,000 cash. If you can do one of two things, stick a wedge to within three feet from 125 yards out 
or toss a football into a trash can in the back corner of an end zone from about 25 yards away? Which one are you choosing, and how many attempts do you think it would take you on either one to get it? Give me a year when I need to do this. Okay. Is this, we're talking about right now? Or are we I don't talking care. about... Timeline's up to you. Let's well, just say right I show now, up... I... Let's just say I show up to your door two weeks from now and say, hey, you get to do one of these two things. Which one are you choosing? Oh, it's got to be a wedge, because I can't throw a football more than 20, 20 25 <laughs> yards anymore. Like, that, like, I can't... There's not a, there's not a chance. Um... You know, that's what whole, that's what happens when you get old and you know, you have to so. wear knee braces to do podcasts. Man, what happened to you? <laughs> this is God. Joey Heisman I'm talking to. <laughs> oh my god, what happened is I had a wrist reconstruction about three years ago. I'm wearing a big old knee brace right now. Like you just it just happens, no matter how invincible you think you are. <sighs> Father time catches up. Okay. Um so I'd have to take the wedge. Okay. And it's it's although <sighs> Three twenty-five yards out. Stick it to three to five feet. So I'm I'm gonna hit a, a nice little smooth. I'm gonna hit a knockdown pitching wedge. Is what I'm gonna yep. do. Good call. You know, I'm I'm gonna choke down a touch. I'm gonna give a little play it back in my stance. I'm mm-hmm. gonna bring it a little bit lower, a little right, a little bit of a right to left, and I'm gonna hope you know try and get a little zip back to it. Um, I'd like to say that I could get it in under. Five, but that's ambitious. <laughs> it's probably more going to be like ten to fifteen. You got it in ten. I feel confident that you can get it in ten. Okay. You know, it's funny. We used to. Uh, so my cousin is Padraig Harrington, uh, uh-huh. the golfer from Ireland. Of course. And, you know, during the years when I was playing in um, the NFL, he was you know winning back to back, you know, British Open and and yeah. you know winning the PGA, and we would always laugh and and it. We were talking about doing it on golf, golf Channel once, and it never happened. I made the bet that I could hit a wedge from 125 yards or whatever the club was mm-hmm. better than he could throw an 18-yard comeback. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And this never came to fruition? Did you ever try it? He was scared. I know he was scared. <laughs> 18-yard comeback, that's a hard – got to have some zip on that pass. Oh, yeah. You know, take a seven-step <laughs> drop, fire that thing across the yeah. – uh, from the opposite hash mark. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, you need some arm It's strength. got a little something to it. Yeah. All right. Last question. This one I think a lot more fans will be interested in your answer. Um, okay. You're saying fans don't like golf? I don't think they like golf as much as we do. I think they might like golf, Ooh, but they're missing, they're, they're missing they might something. not be obsessed with golf like we are. Has there ever been talk about filming another shout video or at least making some additions with guys like Justin Herbert, Sabrina Ionescu, and what are your opinions on the necessity for that to happen? Okay. Are we, do we this is a podcast. Do we have like a hard time? We got to get out of here. No, we're on your clock right now. Great. Okay. <laughs> so do you know the story of the shout video? I've heard it, but please, please go through it for the listeners. So we were all in in L.A., Pasadena for the for the Rose Bowl when Marcus was and that team um, dominated Florida State and in, in the you know the semifinal. Immediately afterwards, Nike bought the or I don't know whether they, it was after the game, but Nike bought the two minutes immediately following the national championship game. Mm-hmm. 
we got it, you know, and I say we, you know, LaMike and Kenyon and Dan Fouts and, and Ahmad and, um, you know, Ashton and Neil Everett and English Tinker Gardner and, and all of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. Up. We got a text that the night right after the game, can you be at X, you know, lot or warehouse or whatever it was tomorrow morning? We're filming a commercial for Oregon football. Like, all right. So we had two groups, like a, like a six, 7 a.m. group and a 10 a.m. group. And we filmed it in two, in two sessions. And I mean, it was absolutely, it was so much fun. So sure. much fun to have all those people together. Um, you know, just, just being crazy. Yeah. That was going to be the commercial that aired after Oregon won the national championship game mm -hmm. against, against Ohio, Ohio State. State, to be clear. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And it was going to be a congratulations, you know, you know, you just did it. Um, mm -hmm. God, that would have been perfect. And I know, exactly. But it didn't happen. Of course. So what happens is it goes in the can, right? Mm -hmm. And you sit on it for, for a year and it's like, what do we do with this? Well, during that time, what it allowed is to actually get the greatest Oregon football player into the video. Because if you notice, mm -hmm. Marcus's two appearances are at the very beginning yep. where you could film this, the, the scene he's coming solo, down the stairs. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm, he's by himself. And then when he's, you know, like tapping on his knees, again, it's a single <laughs> shot. So they did edit Marcus into that video because he was well playing in the game that we all wanted him to win. They played it at, you know, uh, in between third and fourth quarter, one game at, at Otson, and everybody loved it, and they've been playing it ever since. So That's it's tough. one of those, you know, serendipitous moments where, you know, it turned into something. You made lemonade, or lem made lemonade out, of, out of a lemon. Please. I don't know what the analogy Correct. is. Yeah. <laughs> but do I think that it needs to be updated? Yes-ish. Okay. Because... Part of what's so great about it is the fact that that happened, right? Mm -hmm. The fact that all of those people came together on, you know, at some random warehouse in outside of, you know, LA. And my question would be, who do you take out? Because if you got to get Sabrina in and you got to get Justin in, now mm -hmm. you're starting to mess with like, are you, you know, when Galen Rupp is shown on, like, we're talking about an Olympic silver medalist here, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the greatest American marathoners ever. Uh, are you taking out Ashton Eaton? You know, know you can't. <laughs> arguably the greatest athlete in the history yeah, of the world. world record like, holder. Yeah, exactly. You're taking out LaMichael James, and like, who who are you taking out of this? Like, I I don't know. Do I think that it would be incredible to have Sabrina? And Justin and whoever it is going Cape forward. Yeah. Yeah. Inevitably, they're going to continue to be great Oregon athletes. But I think you run the risk of, you know, of messing with that magic because it's what only you have so right long now, of a song. <laughs> exactly. And it's a, it's a celebration of Oregon, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's, 
people look forward to that during the game. People okay. look forward to, to that moment. And I'm all for change, but change for the sake of change. I don't know. Sometimes it's, sometimes you don't mess with a good thing. Definitely. And well, I mean, that's a, it's a really good point. I hadn't really thought about the need to take some out to get new ones in because that, that complicates the whole thing. But in my mind, mm -hmm. it's, that's such a uniquely Oregon thing. And like you said, I mean, people, a lot of fans stay for that moment in games <laughs> and then leave once the fourth quarter. Right after, yeah. I've talked to my wife several times. She says, yeah, we're going to stay for shout and then head home. It's like, that's kind of a point in the game. And, and, I love the idea of it being sort of like an Oregon Hall of Fame. I know if you were to actually, I mean, the Oregon Hall of Fame is, is much larger than that, but a fan version of the Oregon Hall of Fame. And it's it's really cool. I think it'd be awesome to have Herbert and Yonescu in there because I think they're they're very well deserving. But yeah, but, I'd be but interested where do you, to see where do you draw it, the line? Like, exactly. there's another question. Do you put exactly. Luke, Luke and Freddie in? Do you get Ronnie Lee? Do you, exactly. you know, like... Where Pritchard, are you? does he does he belong? I don't know. It's it's tough. So yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point. We're gonna end it there, Joey. This was absolutely incredible. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Before we go, um, I want to give you a chance to plug some of your stuff. I know you're you do a great job on talking ducks with Fincheris and Jordan Kent and Anthony Newman. Um, it's always a really fun watch. When does the next episode of that come out? I don't know. Screw those guys. I don't even like them. You know. <laughs> Come join me over here uh, instead. Let's do this. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we'll, we'll keep talking about that. I, okay. I, anyway, um, when is our next episode? Our episodes are on uh, Thursday nights on Route, um, okay. uh, weekly. You know, it's 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 been a fun. We're over ten years with that group. Ten years on that show. It's it's yeah. it's a lot of fun. And as much as everybody gives Fentress grief, he's a good dude. <laughs> hey, he's he a takes really it well, good dude. Yeah, he lo he plays his role. Um, yes. Honestly, you know what? What I would love to plug, you know, is is my foundation and mm -hmm. and our fundraiser, our, our scholarship pro program that we um, that we have. We we literally, um, you know, our our scholarship application is live. Um, we give four four year college scholarships to graduating high school seniors from around the state um, based on community leadership and financial need. Like we. Um, and, and we're going to start reviewing those applications here in the next, what, end of, end of March. Um, you know, it's, we take those students and we connect them with mentors in the community. You know, I, I love what our program has grown into. Um, this, the growth over the last nine years now of starting with, you know, four students and Dave Fronmeyer sitting in a restaurant to, you know, becoming family dinners of, of over a hundred people now. Um, you know, building a network for students that, that need, that just need access, right? Mm -hmm. That just need a door to be open for them. So uh, that's, if you know anybody who is a graduating high school senior from anywhere in the state, I mean, we have students from Brookings and Coos Bay and Philomath and Enterprise and Culver, you know, and we have plenty of students from up and down the Willamette, or yeah, the Willamette Valley, the I-5 corridor as well. Um, but we had our, our fundraiser. One of them was a, the, the bourbon, the bourbon barrel benefit we had in, <laughs> In, uh, in the fall, uh, we've got a, we got another fun one coming up here. Uh, um, there you go. Okay. I'm going to drop a little nugget. Like here's. I love it. Give me the scoop. 
Tinker Hatfield. So not only did he drop off a pair of the, the new Jordan 14, mm-hmm. um, the PEs that he made for the football team and signed mm-hmm. them. But a couple years ago, he made five pair. Wow. Only five pair of Jordan 1 Harrington oh. Family Foundations. Oh my gosh. So our green our green and gray colorway with our foundation logo. There's only five pair that exist in the entire world. Wow. And uh we're gonna raffle one of those pair with the uh with the Jordan 14 player the PEs uh that Tinker signed. And we're gonna do that here, I think starting in March. So That's keep incredible. an eye out. You know, that raffle awesome. tickets for twenty five bucks, you know. Like truly like two pair of shoes that you'd you know, you you can't you can't get with the holy grail of signatures on them. Oh my god! Um, yeah. So twenty five dollars for raffle tickets. Uh, yeah, it'll be fun. I'm curious to see how how we how we do for our students. That's incredible. I love it. Well, it's it's great to hear. Again, it was fantastic to have you on. If you ever want to come on again, you are more 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 than welcome. Um, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate it, buddy. My pleasure. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Again, a huge thank you to Joey, as always. I know he's a very busy man, so it's great to be able to spend some time with him and just talk ball. I'll be back later this week to break down where Oregon basketball currently stands as they make a final push into the month of March. Uh, We will also talk a little bit of football as we get closer to spring ball starting up. Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at www.duckswire.usatoday.com or at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. We will talk to you guys later in the week. Until then, take it easy.